Chapter 47 Habit The Servant The Master Habit, if wisely and skillfully formed, becomes truly a second nature. Bacon Habit, with its iron sinews, clasps and leads us day by day. Lamartine The chain of habit coils itself around the heart like a serpent, to gnaw and stifle it. Has lit. You cannot, in any given case, by any sudden and single effort, will to be true, if the habit of your life has been insincerity. F. W. Robertson It is a beautiful provision in the mental and moral arrangement of our nature that that which is performed as a duty may by frequent repetition become a habit, and the habit of stern virtue, so repulsive to others, may hang around our neck like a wreath of flowers. Paxton Hood When shall I begin to train my child? asked a young mother of a learned physician. How old is the child? inquired the doctor. Two years, sir. Then you have lost just two years, replied he, gravely. You must begin with his grandmother, said Oliver Wendell Holmes, when asked a similar question. At the mouth of the Mississippi, says Beecher, how impossible would it be to stay its waters and to separate from each other the drops from the various streams that have poured in on either side of the Red River, the Arkansas, the Ohio, and the Missouri, or to sift grain by grain the particles of sand that have been washed from the Allegheny or the Rocky Mountains. Yet how much more impossible would it be when character is the river and habits are the side streams? We sow an act we reap a habit. We sow a habit, we reap a character. While correct habits depend largely on self-discipline, and often on self-denial, bad habits, like weeds, spring up unaided and untrained to choke the plants of virtue, and as with Canada thistles, allowed to go to seed in a fair meadow, we may have one day's seeding, Ten years weeding. We seldom see much change in people after they get to be twenty-five or thirty years of age, except in going further in the way they have started. But it is a great comfort to think that, when one is young, it is almost as easy to acquire a good habit as a bad one, and that it is possible to be hardened in goodness as well as in evil. Take good care of the first twenty years of your life, and you may hope that the last twenty will take good care of you. A writer on the history of Staffordshire tells of an idiot who, living near a town clock, and always amusing himself by counting the hour of the day whenever the clock struck, continued to strike and count the hour correctly without its aid when at one time it happened to be injured by an accident. 
Dr. Johnson had acquired the habit of touching every post he passed in the street, and if he missed one, he was uneasy, irritable, and nervous till he went back and touched the neglected post. Every thought is but a habit. Heredity is a man's habit transmitted to his offspring. A special study of hereditary drunkenness has been made by Professor Pellman of Bonn University, Germany. He thus traced the careers of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren in all parts of the present German Empire, until he was able to present tabulated biographies of the hundreds descended from some original drunkard. Notable among the persons described by Professor Pellman is Frau Ada Jerk, who was born in 1740, and was a drunkard, a thief, and a tramp for the last forty years of her life, which ended in 1800. Her descendants numbered 834, of whom 709 were traced in local records from youth to death. 106 of the 709 were born out of wedlock. There were 144 beggars, and 62 more who lived from charity. Of the women, 181 led disreputable lives. There were in the family 76 convicts, seven of whom were sentenced to murder. In a period of some 75 years, this one family rolled up a bill of costs in almshouses, prisons, and correctional institutions, amounting to at least five million marks, or about one million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Isaac Watts had a habit of rhyming. His father grew weary of it, and set out to punish him, which made the boy cry out, "'Pray, father, on me mercy take!' and I will no more verses make. A minister had a bad habit of exaggeration, which seriously impaled his usefulness. His brethren came to expostulate, with extreme humiliation over this fault as they set it forth. He said, Brethren, I have long mourned over this fault, and I have shed barrels of tears because of it. They gave him up as incorrigible, Men carelessly or playfully get into habits of speech or act, which become so natural that they speak or act as they do not intend, to their discomfiture. Professor Phelps told of some Andover students who, for sport, interchanged the initial consonants of adjacent words. But, said he, retribution overtook them. On a certain morning... When one of them was leading the devotions, he prayed the Lord to have mercy on us, feek and weeble sinners. The habit had come to possess him. Many speakers have undesirable habits of utterance or gesture. Some are continually applying the hand to some part of the face, the chin, the whiskers. Some give the nose a peck with thumb and forefinger. Others have the habit characterized as washing the hands with invisible soap in a bowl of invisible water. 
we are continually denying that we have habits which we have been practicing all our lives, says Beecher. Here is a man who has lived forty or fifty years, and a chance shot sentence or word lances him, and reveals to him a trait which he has always possessed, but which, until now, he had not the remotest idea that he possessed. For forty or fifty years he has been fooling himself about a matter as plain as the nose on his face. Had the angels been consulted whether to create man, with this principle introduced, that, if a man did a thing once, it would be easier the second time, and at length would be done without effort, they would have said, Create! Remember that habit is an arrangement, a principle of human nature, which we must use to increase the efficiency and ease of our work in life. Make sobriety a habit, and intemperance will be hateful. Make prudence a habit, and reckless profligacy will be as contrary to the course of nature in the child or in the adult as the most atrocious crimes are to any of us. Out of hundreds of replies from successful men as to the probable cause of failure, bad habits was in almost every one. How easy it is to be nobody! It is the simplest thing in the world to drift down the stream, into bad company, into the saloon, just a little beer, just a little gambling, just a little bad company, just a little killing of time, and the work is done. New Orleans is from five to fifteen feet below high water in the Mississippi River. The only protection to the city from the river is the levee. In May 1883, a small break was observed in the levee, and the water was running through. A few bags of sand or loads of dirt would have stopped the water at first, but it was neglected for a few hours, and the current became so strong that all efforts to stop it were fruitless. A reward of $500,000 was offered to any man who would stop it, but it was too late. It could not be done. Beware of small sins and white lies. A man of experience says, There are four good habits, punctuality, accuracy, steadiness, and dispatch. Without the first, time is wasted. Without the second, mistakes, the most hurtful to our own credit and interest, and those of others, may be committed. Without the third, Nothing can be well done, and without the fourth, opportunities of great advantage are lost, which it is impossible to recall. Abraham Lincoln gained his clear precision of statement of propositions by practice, and Wendell Phillips his wonderful English diction by always thinking and conversing in excellent style. Family customs exercise a vast influence over the world. Children go forth from the parent nest, spreading the habits they have imbibed over every phase of society. These can easily be traced to their sources. To be sure, this is only a trifle in itself, but then, the manner in which I do every trifling thing is of very great consequence, 
because it is just in these little things that I am forming my business habits. I must see to it that I do not fail here, even if this is only a small task. A physical habit is like a tree grown crooked. You cannot go to the orchard and take hold of a tree grown thus and straighten it and say, Now, keep straight, and have it obey you. What can you do? You can drive down a stake and bind the tree to it, bending it back a little and scarifying the bark on one side. And if, after that, you bend it back a little more every month, keeping it taut through the season, and from season to season, at length you will succeed in making it permanently straight. You can straighten it, but you cannot do it immediately. You must take one or two years for it. Sir George Staunton visited a man in India who had committed murder, and in order not only to save his life, but what was of much greater consequence to him, his caste, he had submitted to a terrible penalty, to sleep for seven years on a bed, the entire top of which was studded with iron points as sharp as they could be without penetrating the flesh. Sir George saw him during the fifth year of his sentence. His skin then was like the hide of a rhinoceros, and he could sleep comfortably on his bed of thorns. And he said that at the end of the seven years he thought he should use the same bed from choice. What a vivid parable of a sinful life! Sin, at first a bed of thorns, after a time becomes comfortable through the deadening of moral sensibility. When the suspension bridge over Niagara River was to be erected, the question was how to get the cable over. With a favoring wind, a kite was elevated, which alighted on the opposite shores. To its insignificant string a cord was attached, which was drawn over, then a rope, then a larger one, then a cable. Finally, the great bridge was completed, connecting the United States with Canada. First across the gulf we cast, kite-borne threads till lines are passed, and habit builds the bridge at last. Launch your bark on the Niagara River, said John B. Goff. It is bright, smooth, and beautiful. Down the stream you glide on your pleasure excursion. Suddenly someone cries out from the bank, Young men, ahoy, what is it? The rapids are below you. Ha, ha, we have heard of the rapids, but we are not such fools as to get there. If we go too fast, then we shall up with the helm and steer to the shore. Then on, boys, don't be alarmed. There is no danger. Young men, ahoy there, what is it? The rapids are below you. Ha, ha, we will laugh and quaff. What care we for the future? No man ever saw it. Sufficient for the days, the evil thereof. We will enjoy life while we may. We'll catch pleasure as it flies. There's time enough to steer out of danger. Young man, ahoy! What is it? Beware, beware! The rapids are below you. Now you see the water foaming all around. 
See how fast you pass that point. Up with the helm. Now turn. Pull hard. Quick. Quick. Pull for your lives. Pull till the blood starts from the nostrils, and the veins stand like whipcords upon the brow. Set the mast in the socket. Hoist the sail. Ah! Ah, it is too late! Shrieking, cursing, howling, blaspheming, over you go. Thousands go over the rapids every year, through the power of habit, crying all the while, When I find out that it is injuring me, I will give it up. A community is often surprised and shocked at some crime. The man was seen on the street yesterday, or in his store, but he showed no indication that he would commit such crime today. Yet the crime committed today is but a regular and natural sequence of what the man did yesterday and the day before. It was but a result of the fearful momentum of all his past habits. A painter once wanted a picture of innocence, and drew from life the likeness of a child at prayer. The little suppliant was kneeling by his mother. The palms of his hands were reverently pressed together, and his mild blue eyes were upturned with the expression of devotion and peace. The portrait was much prized by the painter, who hung it up on his wall and called it Innocence. Years passed away, and the artist became an old man. Still the picture hung there. He had often thought of painting a counterpart, the picture of guilt, but had not found the opportunity. At last he effected his purpose by paying a visit to a neighboring jail. On the damp floor of his cell lay a wretched culprit heavily ironed. Wasted was his body, and hollow his eyes. Vice was visible in his face. The painter succeeded admirably, and the portraits were hung side by side for innocence and guilt. The two originals of the pictures were discovered to be one and the same person, first in the innocence of childhood, second in the degradation of guilt and sin and evil habits. Willpower can be so educated that it will focus the thought upon the bright side of things, upon objects which lift and elevate. Habits of contentment and goodness may be formed the same as any others, walking upon the quarter-deck of a vessel, though at first intolerably confining, becomes by custom so agreeable to a sailor, that on shore he often hems himself within the same bounds. Lord Kames tells of a man who, having relinquished the sea for a country life, reared an artificial mount, with a level summit, resembling a quarter-deck not only in shape, but in size where he generally walked. When Franklin was superintending the erection of some forts on the frontier, as a defense against the Indians, he slept at night in a blanket on a hard floor, and, on his first return to civilized life, he could hardly sleep in a bed. Captain Ross and his crew, having been accustomed, during their polar wanderings, to lie on the frozen snow or a bare rock, afterwards found the accommodations of a whaler too luxurious for them, and the captain exchanged his hammock for a chair. Two sailors who had been drinking took a boat off 
to their ship. They rowed but made no progress, and presently each began to accuse the other of not working hard enough. Lustily they plied the oars, but after another hour's work still found themselves no farther advanced. By this time they had become tolerably sober, and one of them, looking over the side, said to the other, Why, Tom, we haven't pulled the anchor up yet. And thus it is with those who are anchored to something of which they are not conscious, perhaps, but which impedes their efforts, even though they do their very best. A youth, thoughtless, when all the happiness of his home forever depends on the chances or the passions of an hour, exclaims Ruskin. A youth thoughtless, when his every act is a foundation stone of future conduct, and every imagination a fountain of life or death. Be thoughtless in any after years, rather than now, though indeed there is only one place where a man may be nobly thoughtless, his deathbed. No thinking should ever be left to be done there. Sir James Paget tells us that a practised musician can play on the piano at the rate of twenty-four notes a second. For each note, a nerve current must be transmitted from the brain to the fingers, and from the fingers to the brain. Each note requires three movements of a finger, the bending down and raising up, and at least one lateral, making no less than seventy-two motions in a second, each requiring a distinct effort of the will, and directed unerringly, with a certain speed, and a certain force, to a certain place. Some can do this easily, and be at the same time busily employed in intelligent conversation. Thus, by obeying the law of habit, until repetition has formed a second nature, we are able to pass the technique of life almost wholly over to the nerve centers, leaving our minds free to act or enjoy. All through our lives the brain is constantly educating different parts of the body to form habits which will work automatically from reflex action, and thus is delegated to the nervous system a large part of life's duties. This is nature's wonderful economy to release the brain from the drudgery of individual acts, and leave it free to command all its forces for higher service. Man's life work is a masterpiece or a botch, according as each little habit has been perfectly or carelessly formed. It is said that if you invite one of the devil's children to your home, the whole family will follow. So one bad habit seems to have a relationship with all the others. For instance, the one habit of negligence, slovenliness, makes it easier to form others equally bad, until the entire character is honeycombed by the invasion of a family of bad habits. A man is often shocked when he suddenly discovers that he is considered a liar. He never dreamed of forming such a habit. But the little misrepresentations, to gain some temporary end, had, before he was aware of it, made a beaten track in the nerve and brain tissue, until lying has become almost a physical necessity. He thinks he can easily overcome this habit, but he will not. He is bound to it with cords of steel, 
and only by painful, watchful, and careful repetition of the exact truth, with a special effort of the willpower at each act, can he form a counter-trunk line in the nerve and brain tissue. Society is often shocked by the criminal act of a man who has always been considered upright and true. But if they could examine the habit map in his nervous mechanism and brain, they would find the beginnings of a path leading directly to his deed, in the tiny repetitions of what he regarded as trivial acts. All expert and technical education is built upon the theory that these trunk lines of habit become more and more sensitive to their accustomed stimuli and respond more and more readily. We are apt to overlook the physical basis of habit. Every repetition of an act makes us more likely to perform that act, and discovers in our wonderful mechanism a tendency to perpetual repetition, whose facility increases in exact proportion to the repetition. Finally, the original act becomes voluntary from a natural reaction. It is cruel to teach the vicious that they can, by mere force of willpower, turn about face and go in the other direction, without explaining to them the scientific process of character building through habit formation. What we do today is practically what we did yesterday, and in spite of resolutions, unless carried out in this scientific way, we shall repeat tomorrow what we have done today. How unfortunate that the science of habit-forming is not known by mothers and taught in our schools, colleges, and universities. It is a science compared with which other departments of education sink into insignificance. The converted man is not always told that the great battle is yet before him, that he must persistently, painfully, prayerfully, and with all the willpower he possesses, break up the old habits, and lay counter lines which will lead to the temple of virtue, he is not told that, in spite of all his efforts, in some unguarded moment, some old switch may be left open, some old desire may flash along the line, and that, possibly, before he is aware of it, he may find himself yielding to the old temptation which he had supposed to be conquered forever. An old soldier was walking home with a beefsteak in one hand and a basket of eggs in the other, when someone yelled, Halt! Attention! Instantly, the veteran came to a stand, and, as his arms took the position of attention, eggs and meat went tumbling into the street, the accustomed nerves responding involuntarily to the old stimulus. Paul evidently understood the force of habit. I find, then, he declares, the law that to me who would do good, evil is present. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see a different law in my members, warring against the law in my mind, and bringing me into captivity under the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
he referred to the ancient custom of binding a murderer face to face with the dead body of his victim until suffocated by its stench and disillusion. I would give a world if I had it, said an unfortunate wretch, to be a true man. Yet in twenty-four hours I may be overcome and disgraced with a shilling's worth of sin. How shall I a habit break, as ye did that habit make? As ye gathered, ye must lose. As ye yielded, now refuse. Thread by thread the strands we twist, till they bind us, neck and wrist. Thread by thread the patient hand, must untwine, ere free we stand. As we builded, stone by stone, we must toil unhelped, alone, till the wall is overthrown. End of chapter 47